Well, I want you to open your Bibles today. We're going to be in Hebrews chapter 10. Uh, we're going to walk through a passage today that's an encouraging passage, and it's one that I think, honestly, we need to be reminded of. It's not a, a new passage. It's not one that um, we haven't talked about, uh, you know, somewhat frequently around here and in other churches. I'm sure you've heard this passage well, but I can't think of a better time than now for us to dig back into this Hebrews chapter 10 passage, because uh, we've been in a season, in case you haven't noticed, since March, where things have been a little bit different, uh, where things have been radically changed from what we have uh, been used to. And so I certainly want us to take the opportunity uh, this morning to dig into this passage. But before we do, I, I want to take a moment, as we had this choir and this, uh, uh, this, this orchestra on stage here just a few moments ago, to share with you uh, another prayer request of someone who would be sitting up here uh, if it were not for what she is dealing with. Uh, Brenda Bonheim has been part of our church for many, many years. Uh, and she and her husband Bob have been faithful parts of, of this church and also serving at Liberty University for so many years. And a few weeks ago, Brenda was diagnosed with um, a rare and aggressive form of cancer. And uh, there's no chemotherapy treatments for it. There's no treatments at all for it. And uh, the doctors have not given her a lot of hope at all. And uh, in fact, I, I talked with her on Thursday night, and I called her and talked with her. I'm going to go see her today after the services. And um, you know, great spirits and great heart, but, but knowing that, you know, absent a miracle, um, you know, heaven probably is not too far away. And so I just want to encourage you to continue to be praying for Brenda Bonheim. Uh, she always sat right back here and played that French horn. And I've uh, been a part of this church for so many years. And I just want to make sure you remember to pray for her and to pray for Bob. And I, I know that I, I say that now because the passage that we're going to be walking through has a lot to do with what we as church members as a body of Christ must have in our journey, must have in our, uh, in our DNA if we're going to see God do what God needs to do, what God wants to do, what God desires to do in our, in our walk. And so let me read this passage from Hebrews chapter 10, uh, beginning with verse 19. It says this, Therefore, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus, by a new and a living way which he consecrated for us through the veil that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. And let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Today what I want to talk about is a bold and a confident faith, because today I think more than ever before we need to be reminded of the promise of God, the hope that we find in God, that we can indeed not only have a bold faith but a confident faith. In other words, where we can rest assured in what God has promised that He would do. For the people that we've talked about today who are hurting, people who are going through difficulties and moments of, of sickness and disease, that they need to know that this bold and confident faith is something that they can stand on no matter what. And so I just want to give you today uh, a few thoughts uh, from this passage that I hope will encourage you. And I hope it will go beyond encouraging you. I hope it will challenge you and, and bring you to the point, drive you to the point where you actually will stand up and that you will be all that God intends for you to be 
in a time in our church's history, in our nation's history, in our world's history, when we, the church, have never been needed more than right now. And so I want to talk about that today. And so, uh, a bold and a confident faith. And so, the first idea that I want to give you out of verses 20 and 21 is just to, to be able to stand the confidence of the believer. The confidence of a follower of Christ, that that when we come to that moment, like we celebrated a few moments ago, as Jacob and and as Jared walked into that water, uh, having already trusted Christ as their Lord and Savior, and now taking that next step of obedience, they, in both of their stories, and if I could share their stories with you, incredible testimonies, Don Sloan, who's sitting right over here, our sheriff here in the city of Lynchburg, could even share a testimony uh, of one of these young men that got uh, baptized today of what God is doing in his life life and the role that, that, that the gospel is having in that young 14-year-old man's life, doing incredible things. And so we need to understand that regardless of whether we've been saved for a few weeks, or whether we've been saved for a few months, or whether we've been saved for a few decades, that we can absolutely have confidence in our faith. Now let's go back in verse 20 and 21. Let me read these words again, and let's just kind of talk about some of the words that are placed here. And, and make no mistake. That when you're reading Scripture, don't just like read it as you would a book. Uh, Don't just like read it and keep on moving through without taking the time to spend a little bit of, uh, of energy and effort of actually kind of pulling out the words to try to understand their underlying importance and their meaning as it relates to our faith. And so that's what today I want to kind of spend a few moments doing. And so again, go back to verse 20 and 21. It says these words, uh, therefore, uh, brethren, having boldness to enter the holiest by the blood of Jesus by a new and a living way, which he consecrated for us, I'm sorry, it's verses 19 through 21, uh, which he consecrated for us through the veil, that is his flesh, and having a high priest over the house of God. Now, let me just pull out a couple of words here. The first word that I want to pull out is the word new. If you go back into verse 20, it says that we uh, have entered into the holiest by the blood of Jesus. And you know what that means, right? That the idea that because of what Christ did on the cross, that the veil was ripped, right? That we can enter into the, the holy of holies, that holiest place where God resides, that we have an opportunity to be connected to, to be uh, uh, talking to, to be uh, in the presence of Almighty God, which till that point had never been allowed. We go back into the Old Testament, you see the stories where uh, when Moses would go up on the mountaintop to meet with God, and you remember in those stories in, in Exodus where they were told, that don't even let people touch the, you know, the, the edge of the mountain, because this is holy ground, and if they even come close, that they will be uh, killed in an instant, they will die instantly because they were not worthy to be in the presence of God. But yet, here in the New Testament, in Hebrews chapter 10, it says that now we can have boldness to enter into the holiest by the blood of Jesus Christ. When Christ died on the cross, when He was buried, and when He rose again, instantly we were invited into the Holy of Holies. We were invited into that most holy, that VIP space where no one is allowed. We were allowed into that special place. And here is how we understand this. It says, by a new and a living way. Now, let's look at that word new. And the word new there is a statement that uh, to that point, and the writer of Hebrews is making it clear, listen, you understand that up until just a few years ago, when you wanted to 
uh, experience the power and the presence of God, you had to go and stand outside of the temple. You could not go in. Only the high priest could go in uh, to the Holy of Holies. Only then once a year, there you had to bring your animals there for sacrifice. They had to be uh, slayed there on the altar to pay for your sins. And it was something you had to do over and over and over again. But now something new has happened. Something transformational has taken place. And so the writer of Hebrews is making it clear, listen, you can have boldness now. You can enter into the holiest of holies now. Why? Because something new has taken place. And what is that something new? It was made possible by the death of Jesus Christ and by His resurrection. That when He rose again instantly, we were given special status. Have you ever been maybe at the airport and you know, you're going to check in for the flight, and you'll see there's two lines there, right? There's the regular security line, and then they get that TSA pre-check line. And the TSA pre-check, which I begin, you know, I believe is kind of like a, a little bit of a scam by the government just to get a little bit more extra money out of us, and the only difference is you can keep your shoes on, which is really, you know, unless you're barefoot, I mean, that's not a big deal. But anyway, you know, there are people who kind of fly through that pre-check line, and on the other side, people are lined up for hours to go through security. Well, it's kind of that same idea that, that we have been, you know, entered into this, this pre-check line as it relates to getting into the presence of God. We don't have to go through what we used to have to go through. You know, kind of the idea now when you go through security and you're not pre-check, you've got to take off your shoes and you've got to take off your jacket, take off your belt. You've got to pull your laptop out of your bag and you've got to put it in a, in a special crate and all these kinds of things. But man, the pre-check people, man, they're just rolling through. They don't have to take anything. They just roll on through and it's not a problem. No stopping. Well, the same idea here. It is a new way made possible by what Christ has done. We have been allowed into a special place. But it's a new, incredible thing. And then he uses a second word here, by a new and a living way. Now, this is a reminder that that one who has invited us in is alive. Now, remember, Jesus died on the cross, right? They saw him nailed to the cross. They saw him dead. They saw him taken down from the cross. They saw him being wrapped in the grave clothes. They saw him being placed into the tomb. They saw the stone that was rolled in front of the tomb. But then three days later, everything changed and Christ rose from the dead. He came back to life. And here, a reminder in the book of Hebrews that, yes, it's a new way. We don't have to do what we once did with all the sacrifices. We don't have to go through uh, an arbiter. We don't have to have a high priest that will enter to the presence of God for us on our behalf. Now we can do it on our own. Oh, and by the way, the one who has brought us that new way is alive today. And aren't you grateful for the fact that Jesus is still alive today? That He is still sitting on the right hand of the Father, making intercession for each and every one of us. So it's a new and it's a living, and here's that next word, a way. Now the idea here is that this is the path by which we must all take. And when you go back into the New Testament, and you see just in the first few years after Christ rose from the grave, after the birth, the genesis of the, uh, the New Testament church, they called everyone who believed in Christ, they called them people of the way. In fact, if you look in Acts chapter 9, Paul, before he became Paul, he was Saul. He was a a persecutor of that new church. And it actually talks about how he, in Acts chapter 9 verse 2, he was looking for anybody who was a follower of the way. In other words, this, this, this crazy idea 
that they didn't have to go through the high priest. This crazy idea that they didn't have to go and make sacrifices at the temple. This crazy idea that the law had been fulfilled by Jesus' death and resurrection. And so the idea here is that the writer gives us a statement that we can have boldness and confidence in our faith. Why? Because there is a new and a living way. Now, I think every single one of us ought to have in our vocabulary, in our vernacular, in in our mindset, in our hearts, that we are walking through, that we are on this journey of our faith, and that we are walking that journey in a new and a living way. And we ought to remind ourselves of that every single day. New because of Christ, living because He's alive, away because it's the path that Christ has given to us to walk. And when we remind ourselves of that great truth every single day, it changes the way that we think. It doesn't get us bogged down in religion. It doesn't get us bogged down in in shame and and bogged down in this idea that we're not worthy. It gives us the confidence that we have that because of what Christ has done, because of His great gift, that we can walk this journey in confidence. And let me tell you what the world needs today more than ever before. It needs confident followers of Christ who are not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ, who are not ashamed that Jesus said He was the the way, the truth, and the life, and no man comes to the Father except through Him. We need some Romans 1.16 followers of Christ today who can say boldly, I am not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. So we need to have confidence in our faith, the confidence of the believer. But also, if we keep reading this passage of verse 22, there's also this idea that we can have, and that's the closeness of the believer. Look what it says, verse 22. Let us draw near with a true heart in full assurance of faith, having our hearts sprinkled from an evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Again, let's dig into some words here. The first couple of words, the true heart. What that gives us is the idea of an absolute commitment in our faith, and that means no hypocrisy. Now, we all know, we've talked about it before, the world doesn't need more hypocrites, right? What the world needs are people who are bold and confident in their faith, but also who are real in their faith. And the only way that we can be real in our faith, the only way that we can be truly connected to God in our faith is what it says here, verse 22, let us draw near to Him. That we have to come to Him with a kind of heart that desperately longs for that relationship with Him that can only happen through what Christ has done. That second statement, that full assurance of our faith, the idea that we can have confidence because of what Christ has done, and we don't question it. Man, it drives me crazy when I hear of Christians who are questioning their faith, doubting their salvation. And what I firmly believe is that when we come to the moment when we're questioning our faith and doubting our, our, our Christianity, doubting our salvation, it has less to do with the, you know, the, what, what God has said, less to do with the sovereignty and the, and the power of God in our lives, and it has more to do with the fact that we are not drawing near to that power. And how do we draw near to that power? Man, read God's Word. Every time I pick up this book, I do it every day. And I'll read parts of the Old Testament, parts of the New Testament every single day. And I promise you, even though I've been a Christian now for, let's see, uh, I turn 54 tomorrow, so it's, I go back six, 48, 48 years I've been a Christian. And 48 years as a Christian, every time I pick up this book and I read something, even that I've read it maybe dozens of times in my life, every time I am encouraged and I am emboldened in my faith, and I am once again reminded of the great hope that comes from Christ. We need confident 
believers, and the only way we can be confident is to be close. So, man, we got to dig into God's Word. That next statement, heart sprinkled, here's what that really means. Because if you were reading that and you kind of flew through the passage, it says heart sprinkled, like what does that even mean? Here's what it means. It means this, that knowing that we all have a sinful nature, knowing that we will blow it, knowing that we will make mistakes, knowing that we will sin in our journey, that what we have is a commitment to when we sin very quickly, very fast, that we come to a place of confession. That there's a very brief moment of time between the commission of sin and the confession of sin. And I mean like, you know, the, the, the stronger you get in your faith, that it ought to be the kind of thing that, you know, if you, if you trip up and you sin like at, at 8.02, at 8.03, you're confessing the sin. I mean, that's the picture. That's what God is calling us to be, is the kind of people that our hearts are so in tune with Him, that we're so close to Him, that we are recognizing that constantly our lives, our hearts, our minds need to be sprinkled by, and here's what they're sprinkled by, by the blood of Jesus, that we recognize, 1 John 1, 9, that if we confess our sins, that He is faithful and just to forgive us of our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness every single time. And so, that's how we find the closeness of the believer. That's how we can find that that close relationship of walking side by side with Him. Now, I've been married to Sherry for 28 years. In fact, we celebrated our 20th anniversary, 28th anniversary yesterday. And when we got married, we were choosing when we were going to get married. I thought it was kind of cool that we got married two days before my birthday. I'll never forget my anniversary. And so, a little secret there, guys, if you're not married yet, you know, pick something that's like, you know, can always remind you. And so, we celebrated 28 years yesterday. And... You know, did that 28 years of journey, listen, we've had some ups and we've had some downs, we've had some good times, we've had some bad times, but here's one thing that we've always done. We've always walked through life very, very close, always connected, uh, always like right together in every situation and every challenge, and we're right there together every single moment. And here's what that has done. It has strengthened our relationship. And so now, 28 years after we got married, I can tell you that we're closer today than we have ever been. Why? Because we have been close. And so the idea here is that if we're going to have that kind of relationship with God, then it has to be pushed together, drawn together by the closeness in our relationship with God. And so we get this idea, the confidence of the believer is driven by the closeness of the believer, which then helps to to happen by the third thing, the consistency of the believer. Look in verse 23. It says, let us hold fast uh, to this, uh, let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Now, that idea of holding fast, that statement there, let us hold fast, is the Greek word uh, kateko, which literally means keeping in firm possession. So, when it says let us hold fast, it means like holding on tight to our faith, holding on tight to the promise that we have with God, holding on tight to that hope that we have. And it goes on to say, without wavering. And that means we must continue in our, in our faith, holding tightly to that promise that we have in God. And that when we do that without wavering, guess what happens? When we face the most difficult moments of life, we can walk into those moments without questioning God at all. Now, certainly we may come to God and say, God, you know, please heal. God, please restore. God, please bring me through this challenge. Absolutely. But that's not questioning God. That's, that's, in fact, acknowledging the power and the sovereignty of God of helping us through life's most difficult moments, which is only possible 
when we have a recognition of who God is and what God has done for us through the gift of His Son. So without wavering is the idea that no matter what comes our way, we will continue to trust completely in Him. Listen to this statement that uh, Westcott said. He said, faith reposes completely in the love of God. Hope vividly anticipates that God will fulfill His promises in a particular way. Listen to that statement, that God will fulfill His promises. Let me just tell you something. Of the thousands of promises that are found within God's Word, here's one thing you can absolutely be confident of, absolutely be sure of. God will fulfill every promise that He has made. God has never made a promise to you that He will not fulfill. Isn't that encouraging? Because here's what I do know. I do know that there's not another human being alive that I could say that of. Sherry and I have been married 28 years, and I love her. Man, she's awesome. She's incredible. But I'll be honest with you. There have been some statements that she's made to me that she's not fulfilled. And I can guarantee you there's been some things that I've said that I haven't fulfilled. And even though we love each other and we stand with one another, you know, you can't say that of anybody. That if they've made a promise, they will absolutely be fulfilled no matter what. Of God, that can be said. And so this idea, this consistency, holding fast, like drawing it in, hanging tight on, recognizing that, man, that's exactly what God is and who God is. Which brings us to the final statement we get in this passage, which, by the way, is, is the thing that drives us to get to the other three, and that's the commitment of the believer. You see, without true commitment, you'll never find consistency. Without true commitment, you'll never find closeness. Without true commitment, you'll never find that confidence that we so desperately need. So the commitment, again, verse 24 and 25, and let us consider one another in order to stir up love and good works, not forsaking the assembling of ourselves together, as is the manner of some, but exhorting one another, and so much the more as you see the day approaching. Now, twice in this passage, you heard the word one another. Those two words together were used a hundred times in 94 verses in the New Testament. And so over and over and over again in God's Word, it tells us, man, we've got to do this one another. We've got to help one another. We've got to serve one another. We've got to love one another. We've got to minister to one another. And so this passage tells us in the commitment of the believer, it says, man, we've got to consider one another. And that means like, like recognize the hurts, the needs, the challenges that other people have and recognize our responsibility uh, in response to that. To stir up love and good works, making sure that we are actually together encouraging one another to do what God has called us to do. How do we do that? Well, man, we do it one way, just simply encouragement. Like by standing with one another and, 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 and talking to one another, praying for one another and, and helping them in their needs. Church, may I look around this room and I see, you know, scores of people that I, you probably all have stories where someone has come alongside you in a desperate moment, in a difficult time, and they've come alongside you and they've ministered to you and encouraged you. That's what it's talking about. So we encourage one another by, by serving one another. Man, there's so many different opportunities of serving. Man, here, we opened our children's ministries last week. And we had, uh, I think, 250 kids uh, that showed up last week at 945 for the reopening of our children's ministry. And listen, man, I walked through every, I went through every class, I went through every area, and, and man, I saw so many people who were serving those kids. And by the way, we need more of you to serve. There are some of you who come to this 830 service, and you need to think less about the fact that when you get out of this service at 930, that you can be at Waffle House before a lot of other people getting up on a Sunday morning. And you need to say, I'm going to come to the 830 service at 945. Man, I'm going to serve the children of our church. 
I mean, you need to find ways to do that. You can talk to our people out on Main Street. You can go to our website. Find a place to serve. Why? Because God's Word says it. Because God's Word tells us to do it. And so we encourage one another. We serve one another. We gather together. Gathering is important. It's more important now than it has ever been. Now, I know we've got rules, I know we've got protocols, I know we've got challenges, I know there are some people that I talked to even yesterday in our church who are not ready to come back because they're, you know, they're, they're immunocompromised, because of age, because of other issues that they're worried. And I get it, I understand it, it's not a problem. That's why these cameras are on, and that's why we're able to continue to take this message out even though they're not here. And that's awesome and that's great, and we will keep doing that. But hear me, if you are able to, If you are not immunocompromised, if you are not in that situation or that challenge where where there's, you know, there's difficulties in doing that, you need to be in the local church. And if you're watching this right now, whether it's Thomas Road or whether it's another local church, you need to be gathering as the body of Christ because we are better together. And this passage says, man, forsake not the assembling of yourselves together. It's awesome that we can go to church sitting on our couch when we have to. But when we don't have to, get in the church and let's together worship by exhorting one another. That's the Greek word parakaleo, which literally has the idea of holding each other accountable, of of coming along one side. It's kind of the same uh, usage of the word of, of, it talks about the Holy Spirit, the comforter. The paraclesis, it comes, that Jesus sent to come alongside, to be that one that comforts us. The the word here, parakaleo, the idea that we are to come to one side, come alongside other believers to exhort them in their faith, to strengthen them in their faith, to grow them in their faith so that they can become all that they are intended to be by God. The Bible says very clearly, man, we have to be doing this, especially now. It uses the last phrase there in verse 25, as the day approaches. Now listen, I don't know when that day's coming. I don't know when Christ is going to return. I have no idea when that's going to be. Uh, It could be today. It could be tomorrow. It could be 100 years from now. Everyone in this room, we could be dead before Christ returns. I don't know when that is. But here's what I do know. I know that we're closer today than we were yesterday. I know that we're closer today than we were last year. And so if that's true, and this passage says that's even so much more important as the day approaches, the day is approaching. And that means regardless of when Christ returns, which we don't know when that will be, you must be doing what God's Word says. John Wesley said it this way, the Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. The Bible knows nothing of solitary religion. We can't do this on our own. Now, could, now, you could say, well, wait a minute, now, can't someone do it on their own? Sure. If you live out in the, you know, in the, in the, the outback of Africa or Australia, and there's, you know, nobody within hundreds of miles of you, and, and nobody, even you live out there all by yourself, could you have a, a faith journey? Absolutely you can. But I'm going to tell you something, if you live in a community where people are all around you, if you live where churches are within walking distance, if you're in a place where you can drive to a place like Thomas Road every single week, if you live in a place where you can get together and, and study God's Word, get together in life groups, we're talking about group league here in a couple of weeks, so connecting back in life groups, if you have that opportunity, then man, we better be doing that because the Bible says nothing of a solitary religion. Leon Moore said it this way, it's interesting that this kind of love that's laid out here in Hebrews chapter 10 is thus a product of community activity, for it is a virtue that requires others for its exercise. Now listen to these words, one may practice faith or hope alone, but not love. Think about that. The Bible says we've got to love God and love people. 
And Leon Norris said it this way, man, you can practice your faith, you can practice your hope, you can do that all by yourself, but you cannot practice love. To love, man, we have to be engaged. And so listen, it's clear. God's word is absolute. We must be committed. And so by our commitment, we see consistency. By our consistency, it brings us close. And our closeness, it brings us confidence. And today, more than ever, we need confident, bold followers of Christ who will stand up in the midst of a world that is quickly moving away, quickly running from truth, a world that is, is every single day saying that this stuff that we believe, it's not relevant anymore. More than ever, we need Christians who will stand up in boldness and in confidence and say, I am not ashamed. And when we do that, man, we'll change the world. And that's what God sent us here to do. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for the encouragement that we see in your word. Lord, that leads us to confidence, it leads us to closeness, it leads us to consistency, and it all flows from our commitment. God, I pray that we'll be committed. I pray that every person in this room will be committed in their faith, committed in their journey, committed in serving you and serving others, God, so that we can see you do what you have promised to do. And God, right now in this moment, I pray for every single one of us. Lord, we live in a world that's tough. We've seen challenges arise in every situation. We've seen heartache from afar, and we've seen heartache up close. But God, I know that in the midst of every one of those moments, the one thing that we know without question is this, is that you are always there. So Father, I pray right now, if there's someone who's watching this or someone seated here in this room, and God, they don't have that confidence in their faith because they've never come to the place where they've said, I believe that Jesus is the Son of God. I believe that he died and that he rose again. They've not called on your name to find the salvation that only you can give. God, I pray right now, right here today, Father, I pray that today will be the day. With our heads bowed and with our eyes closed, when the service is over in a few moments, if you're seated here and, and you don't know Christ as your Lord and Savior, man, the greatest news you'll ever hear, the greatest news you'll ever hear is that God loves you. And God loves you so much, he sent his son Jesus to die for you. Jesus died and he rose again. And when he rose again, that we have the opportunity by believing in him as the way, the truth, and the life that no man comes to the Father except through Jesus, that Romans 10, 13 says that anyone who calls on his name will be saved. Today, if that's you, man, I encourage you to just pray that prayer. God, I'm a sinner. God, I'm sorry. God, I believe Jesus is your son. I believe that he died and that he rose again. So God, save me today through your son, Jesus. Forgive me of my sins. And here's what God will do. He will save you right now. And if you have done that in this room, in a moment, our, our, our team is going to be gathered over here to my left, your right. They'd love to talk with you. If you're watching right now and you've made that decision, you can go to our website at trbc.org start. And there you'll find lots of great information to help you in this journey of knowing who Christ is and what Christ has done. What a hope that we have in Jesus.
And I want to thank you for joining with us together today as we see what it is that God has done for us all. And today, if you've made a decision for Christ, or if you would like to talk further about what it is that God has done for you in the giving of His Son, Jesus, I would encourage you to email me at the address that is on the screen, pastor at trbc.org. We would love to connect with you to help you begin a brand new journey with Christ. If you would like to help contribute to our ministry as we take this message of the gospel around the world, go to the link on the screen today and help us help others with an amazing message of God's love.